You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy So today, we're going to be continuing on with our series, looking back at the 2019 Packers schedule. Schedule, if you will. As always, if you'd like to see the greatest and most perfect Green Bay Packers schedule, head over to packernet.com. You won't be disappointed. But this is going to be Week 7, Sunday, October 20th, against the Oakland Raiders at home, 12 o'clock p.m. Central Time on CBS. It's also kind of weird, and I don't remember this ever really happening before, but the next two games we have are the Oakland Raiders and the Kansas City Chiefs, which ironically is exactly how Weeks 3 and 4 of the preseason went. So we get to see these teams twice in a row, twice in a row? Thursday, August 22nd, uh, at Oakland. And the home and away is reversed. Then August 29th uh, at home playing the Kansas City Chiefs. So considering week three is against Oakland, this is kind of going to be somewhat of a rematch because usually week three, although it seems like every year there's less and less starters with the preseason, and um, especially guys like Aaron Rodgers. Although we've got a new head coach who seems to be a little less cautious and a little more man up and let's go play football. I don't know. But uh, we'll, I'm, I'm actually kind of curious to see how he's going to handle that. I'm sure Aaron Rodgers still isn't going to play very much. But, again, if this was still Mike McCarthy, I mean, if we pull Aaron Rodgers anymore, he's basically going to come out and, you know, hand the ball off once, and that's it for his preseason career, which I don't know. It's easy to complain about when I'm not the one that has to decide whether Aaron Rodgers is playing or not because it's not my job on the line if Aaron Rodgers gets hurt in the preseason. Still, I, I just, I don't know. I don't want to make it about that, but I'm just really tired of a month of regular season football that is just garbage because nobody knows how to play football yet because nobody's had the opportunity to really practice because practices have been limited by the unions to be basically 15-minute push-ups and jumping jacks, and then the preseason is basically for backups. So Aaron Rodgers and the starters kind of get their first real practice on Thursday, September 5th at Chicago. And I tend to think if I was Matt LaFleur, I would do everything I could to make sure that wasn't actually the case. My guys would be out there utilizing this time. We have four weeks to prepare for the Chicago Bears with real live-action football while everybody else is sitting their starters. I'm going to take advantage of that and get a head start. Anyways, had no intention of talking about any of this. But again, we get to see the Oakland Raiders for the second time. We're coming off a Monday night game at home against Detroit. A little bit of a short week, but it's two home games, so we'll be all right. Anyways, as always, be sure to check out the merchandise and get you one of the most comfortable and amazing t-shirts you've ever had in your life. It's getting a little hot to uh, to throw on a hoodie, unfortunately, because those are really awesome as well. Unless you're one of those people that wears a hoodie all year round, and I never... I used to work with a guy who did landscaping in a hoodie all year round. 
this guy wasn't like from Ecuador where he was used to living directly on the equator and comes here and it's like 85 degrees and he's like, ooh, it's a little chilly. Guy was from like Brookfield, Wisconsin. I, I, I don't know, but I, I've, I've seen a few people in my life that are, are that way and I don't understand it. I'm in a t-shirt and I just, I can't breathe and this guy's running around with a hoodie on. I, I don't know. If you're that guy, check out the hoodies, they're pretty nice. Otherwise, get you a t-shirt. Absolutely will not be disappointed, as I said again. If you are as picky as I am about t-shirts, these are basically the only... I don't even know where she gets them from. I didn't know t-shirts existed that you could just buy and put on and, hey, they're comfortable. I thought they were all, like, stiff like cardboard and you had to wash them sick. I, I literally, like, pull on them and, like, twist them and put them in knots and throw them in the washing machine. And then I start getting angry and start punching them and kicking them. He's like, why are you still stiff? I would like to wear you someday. I've got Packers shirts I've never worn. I've washed them about six times, never put them on my body. Because I don't wear cardboard. It's a little uncomfortable. But anyways, they're nice shirts. If you'd like to further support the uh, the channel, there's a couple other ways you can do it. There is a PodTrack survey, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. And there's also PayPal and Venmo if you're just feeling super generous. If you want to help yourself out, jump in the Facebook group, check out nflbigboard.com, or take advantage of the 15% off PFF subscription by using the link in the description. Otherwise, any questions or comments, call 608-501-0718. That's 608-501-0718. We'll take a little break, and we'll start talking about the Oakland Raiders. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so the Oakland Raiders are obviously in a massive state of flux. There was a a very long period of time where they were garbage. Then it seemed like they were just starting to turn things around. They had a series of good draft picks. They got Khalil Mack. They had Carr. They had Cooper. It was like three years in a row. They got three pivotal pieces. You know, it was like they they still got a ways to go, but they're really starting to build something. Their offense was really dynamic. Defense, even with Mack, was kind of trash. But it was, you know, they, they looked like they were building and going in the right direction. Then everything kind of fell apart because the defense without Mack was basically dead last. And the Carr and Amari Cooper thing just wasn't panning out. Cooper and Carr both kind of fell off, and there was just nobody left. So then they go out and spend silly money on Gruden, who proceeds to, well, basically his first order of business, even though it probably wasn't his first order of business, it's the only one that anyone knows about or cares about, is he decided to ship off Khalil Mack, which I've, I've withheld my opinion on that because I can see the merit, even though you're never, ever, 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 ever supposed to do that. But at the same time, if I'm Gruden, I could see where I want to do that. If, I, if I'm actually going to believe that I am the head of this, and I've got a 10-year contract, and I get the opportunity to build this the way that I want to, and I believe legitimately that I'm the guy for that job, I have that big of a head that it's like, yes, I should be the head coach, and yes, I should build this roster from the ground up. Khalil Mack is a massive problem. Because I'm about to have to pay this guy $25 million. I can't do anything in free agency. I can't get my guys. What am I supposed to do? Alternatively, I can get rid of him, save a ton of money, so that I basically have as much money to go out and buy all the guys that I want, 
I can recoup a ton of draft capital, so I can draft my guys. And on top of that, although we're not supposed to talk about it, it helps us to lose football games and get higher draft picks. And by getting rid of Khalil Mack, there's no question that contributed to them being 4-12 and as opposed to being a you know maybe a 6-win team or whatever, which seems minor, but it's really not. Although they drafted Cleveland Furl, who probably would have been available at 6. I'd be very, very willing to bet. So basically all for naught because that was ridiculous. I'm sure they would claim that he would have been long gone at, by the time they drafted at 6, but I'd be willing to bet if the Raiders didn't draft him, the Packers would have had a shot at him at 12. I know what we hear in the media isn't exactly what you hear, you know, but still, I, I just, I don't buy that. I don't know, maybe somebody, maybe the, the Lions maybe would have nabbed him or something. But whatever. Bottom line is, this was arguably the worst team in the NFL. You could probably say Arizona Cardinals, but if you just look at their their season here, they had a week seven bye. Prior to their bye, they won only one game, and it was an overtime win against the Cleveland Browns. Kind of impressive, because the Cleveland Browns weren't terrible. I think they're way overhyped. I think they were last year, and I think they are again this year. I know they have a massive amount of talent, but I want to see this whole dream team thing come together before I'm just going to buy in. Baker Mayfield, I think, is a good quarterback. I thought he was a good college quarterback. I still need to see him in his second year. Odell Beckham, yeah, we'll see. He's got a lot of injury issues. He's got a lot of emotional issues. We'll see how that works. First-year head coach, we'll see. But anyways, still relatively impressive that they won, but it was an overtime win, so they barely won. After their bye, they lost to the Colts. They lost to the 49ers, who are not good. They lost to the Chargers. Then they beat the Arizona Cardinals, further, you know, kind of pushing the narrative that maybe the Cardinals are worse, but they beat them by two points. Then they lost to the Ravens. They lost to the Chiefs. They managed to beat the Steelers by three. Then they lost to the Bengals. They beat the Broncos in their only convincing win of the entire season, 27-14. to but then lost to the Chiefs 3-35. to So, outside of the Denver Broncos, they only had three wins for a combined total of eight points. They were basically a field goal away in, in three of those games, field goal-ish, from being a one-win team. This is a bad football team. Not that you didn't know that, but just, you know, so we're clear, not a whole lot to work with at all. However, as you also know, and again... I'm withholding judgment on Gruden because this is a complete teardown and rebuild. And I'm going to withhold judgment because I've seen the teardown, and we can mock the teardown if we want. But again, it's hard to do a teardown with a guy like Khalil Mack at $25 million because there's not much you can tear down, and that doesn't leave you much to build up. I mean, it just it, a real teardown means you get rid of Khalil Mack, I, as, as ridiculous as that seems. It also would probably mean you're going to get rid of Derek Carr unless you actually think he's going to be the quarterback of the future which I don't think he is. I think John Gruden, who is kind of playing the tanking game as much as teams aren't supposed to be doing that, I think he might also be doing something else teams supposedly never do, and that is he's going to dip his toe into the quarterback pool when it's a little more plentiful. In other words, he's going to you know, kind of build those pieces, those cornerstone pieces, still be kind of a bad football team, get a really good quarterback, because we still have another first-round pick thanks to the Chicago Bears, we also have a third-round pick thanks to the Chicago Bears. So if we're picking in the top 10, we could, you know, first of all, probably get a quarterback. But if that's not good enough, we could probably just trade up and, and take one. And with how many teams have already taken quarterbacks over the last two years, there's a decent chance that we could trade up with a team that's not interested in a quarterback and get, you know, whoever the top guy is. We can get Justin Herbert or Tua or Fromm or whoever. 
you know, Miami's probably going to be number one. They're going to take a quarterback. Fine. Man, it would be pretty. I'm just looking at Tankathon right now. They've got Miami and Cincinnati number one and two. That would be kind of unfortunate because they're probably going quarterback, quarterback. Who knows? Maybe Cincinnati would do something dumb and, and take a pass rusher or something. But yeah, that would stink. Anyways, that would be my thought. And we'll see how this whole thing shakes out. Maybe nobody's going to expect the number one pick to be a quarterback because it's not going to be that good of a quarterback class when the time comes. Things are pretty, you know, volatile between now and then. But that would be my expectation. And if I may segue one more time, I don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they were talking about, oh, it was it was Mel Kuyper and uh, whatever. And by the way, I, I really don't like that podcast. And it's not just because they were praising the Bears. I feel like, if I may segue from my segue, first of all, it's a podcast with three or more people, which they're almost always bad podcasts, in my opinion, because it's just people talking over each other the whole time. But it's just like a... Trying to think of an appropriate way to say it. I don't know, an ego competition. Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay are just at each other's throat the whole time talking about how great and how brilliant they are. Then Mel Kuyper comes out and talks about how terrible the Packers draft was and highlights that by talking about how Elton Jenkins is going to be a great center, even though he's clearly not playing center. You just have no idea what you're talking about. But the Bears had the greatest draft in the world because basically this year, and I don't know how they do the math on this, but this year they got Khalil Mack, Anthony Miller, and David Montgomery. I get that they got Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller because Anthony Miller was part of that trade, but how many years in a row do you get credit for Khalil Mack? So next year, when they lose another first-round pick, are they going to get credit for Anthony Miller and Khalil Mack again? That's not how this works, geniuses. If you want to know how this works, you give them credit for Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller in the year in which they acquired them. This year, they get credit for none of that because we've already accounted for that. We don't count that again. So this year, if you want to give Ryan Pace a grade, you have to grade them based on their first-round draft pick, which they had zero, their second-round draft pick, which they had zero, and just look at the draft as it is. And if you want to grade their trade of Khalil Mack, you got to wait until next year, and then look back over the last three years, add up all the players they weren't able to draft, and compare that to Khalil Mack and Anthony Miller. That just blew my mind that they, they, they gave him an A, an a grade, and he the only reason he wouldn't change it from an A to an A-plus is because he was too prideful. I never changed my grade. Because, again, it's just a, an ego contest. You know I never changed my grade. I know everything. You're a dummy. It drives me insane. I, I usually don't mind people that are arrogant as long as they can back it up. I mean, it's not my preference. I was always kind of partial to the act-like-you've-been-there mentality. But, I mean, if you want to go ahead and dance in the end zone, fine. As long as you're Odell Beckham, if you want to go strutting around, go ahead and do your thing. You earned it, I guess, right? It's kind of like if you want to drive around in a fancy car or whatever, fine. If you're a multimillionaire, flaunt it. Just don't be driving a, a 2019 Corvette if you make sixty grand a year. I feel kind of like that's Mel Kuyper a little bit. If you can't even describe the Packers draft insofar as very obviously how they're going to be utilizing their second-round pick, I mean, you're, you're top of the industry, man. You live and breathe this stuff, not to mention you have a staff a mile long that can fill you in. Try a little bit. Everybody makes mistakes, I make mistakes, but man, it that just made my skin crawl. And then there's a third guy, I don't know who he is, but they just spent the whole time humiliating him and making him feel dumb because clearly he's not on the level of, of Mel Kuyper and uh, the other loser, Todd McShay. God, that was it was painful to listen to that last podcast. 
And it was supposed to be a full draft recap, which I thought was going to be a great episode. These guys have massive insights. They're going to talk about the draft from top to bottom. And they spent 15 minutes talking about Daniel Jones and then another second talking about another draft pick. And then they talked about the Packers for 30 seconds saying, I think a C-plus grade is the worst grade they gave any team. They gave the Packers a C-plus grade. And, uh, you know, Elton Jenkins is going to be a fine center. Like, that was the one good draft pick. And the reason they hated it is because... the. I'm sorry. I'll get back to the Raiders. I just because they didn't do offense in the in the first round. And he said, "I thought that they would go offense and they didn't. Except we did, just not in the first round like you thought because they went best player available, which is what they're supposed to do, which is what every team is supposed to do. So how about you grade it based on the quality of the players? But no, I'm Mel Kiper and I do whatever I want and I don't know what I'm talking about." So about the Oakland Raiders, oh, that guy. What was I talking about? All right, Khalil Mack trade and all that. So they gave away some stuff, and they're in the process of rebuilding. Let's take a look at some of the rebuilding that's been going on. So first of all, a few other players that they lost. Um, Jared Cook is probably going to be one of the bigger ones, but again, older tight end going kind of in a different direction. He ends up going over to the New Orleans Saints. Uh, John Feliciano, guard, he's offers nothing. Uh, corner, Rashawn Melvin, he's had some, you know, positive things here and there, but a 30-year-old undrafted free agent that's extremely inconsistent. Eh. They also released Donald Penn, who's been a very, very, very good tackle for a very long time. But the guy's 35 years old and had a terrible year last year. I don't know if he was injured or what. It had to be because he's been consistently like an elite tackle for like, I don't know, 10 years, 12, 15, 50 years. I don't know. But he's actually still a free agent. I saw somebody in the Facebook group mention getting Donald Penn. I actually considered that. Um, I don't know. I guess it would just be sort of a cost thing. Can we afford to bring him in and essentially just let him sit as a backup just in case things go south? And then if they did, you know, he can come in and hopefully kind of be even, you know, half as good as he has been his entire career. He's been, (coughs) again, one of the better uh, tackles in the NFL. Uh, They got rid of A.J. McCarron. I don't think that's a huge loss, although they don't really have anyone to back up Derek Carr, unless you like uh, Mike Glennon and Nathan, Nathan Peterman, or Landry Jones, but I think that just kind of comes down to cost as well. A.J. McCarron's probably looking for a little bit more money, and the Raiders are looking at him going, nope. If we're going to have garbage backups, we're at least not going to pay them very much. Uh, Jordy Nelson obviously retired. As much as it's kind of pains me to say, it's probably not a huge loss. Again, I think he could come to Green Bay and still be a good wide receiver because of the rapport he has with Aaron Rodgers, but he wasn't really offering the Raiders anything. And then obviously you factor in all the guys that they got, you know, when you start flooding wide receivers and there, Jordy's looking at his odds and going, eh, I don't need this man. He's going to go home and, and milk his goats or whatever he does. And then Seth Roberts, they also let go, who's a wide receiver. Slot guy, not very good. Nothing really lost there either. So it's a team filled with bad players and the Raiders got rid of a few of them, primarily some of the older ones that are just never really going to pan out. As far as additions, everybody knows the big one, they traded away a 2019 third and a 2019 fifth, which actually we should see what they got for that. I'm curious. So at pick 66, which they actually didn't have a second round pick probably because they traded up for Devin Bush, but at 66, they did get a wide receiver, Deontay Johnson. And at pick 141, they got another receiving threat in tight end Zach Gentry. Gentry, whatever. Anyways, just curious about that. But obviously that's a massive upgrade. They did not have any wide receivers last year. They had a, you know, 33-year-old tight end that was somewhat of a receiving threat. But for Derek Carr to go from Amari Cooper to Antonio Brown is just night and day. Antonio Brown, despite being kind of goofy, no question he's a very good wide receiver. Hopefully, probably getting into a better situation. 
Again, I don't know what all is going on in Pittsburgh, but Ben Roethlisberger apparently wasn't the easiest person to work with. Derek Carr, as far as I know, pretty easy to get along with guy. So probably a good situation for Antonio Brown. I don't know. We'll see. Among their other additions, another real big one, uh, they went out and got Trent Brown. Paid the man a massive amount of money. Seems to be happening every year. The New England Patriots um, develop wide receivers. What am I talking about? They develop their offensive line, and then one of them goes out and makes a ton of money. Now, I don't really understand it. Trent Brown wasn't really worth the money that he was paid, but I guess, you know, again, you want and you need tackles, and if you want a franchise tackle, that's what you got to pay, so that's what they paid, I guess. But the other really shocking thing that it seems just flat-out dumb and is one of the things that makes me question Gruden in general is that they paid a ton of money for Trent Brown. Their other tackle is Colton Miller, who was a terrible draft pick when the pick was made, Turned out to be a terrible draft pick when he was a horrible right tackle. And then their plan is, I know what we'll do. We'll take our $60 billion man, Trent Brown, and move him to right tackle. We'll take Colton Miller, that was a terrible first-round pick. We'll kick him out to left tackle. That'll fix everything. I don't understand it. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe Colton's going to have a massive second-year leap. Either way, why in the world is the highest-paid tackle in the NFL... First of all, a mediocre tackle, and second of all, why did you put him at right tackle? It seems to me the entire point of this is that we don't have a left tackle. We're going to go out and pay for a guy that can play left tackle and make him a le- I, I don't know. We'll see, but it just seems like an absolute disaster. They also went out and got uh, interior offensive lineman uh, Jordan Devy. He's going to come in and compete, but no real, uh, I don't know, he might be a guard, but if he is, he's not going to be a good one. Some other wide receiver help, and they went out and got a bunch. There's no question John Gruden wants this offense to be lethal. They went out and got uh, Tyrell Williams, they got J.J. Nelson from the Cardinals, and they got Ryan Grant from the Colts. So Tyrell Williams is going to be the other, the number two wide receiver. He's not great. There's been a lot of hype about Tyrell Williams, you know, going to have a breakout, this or that or the other, but it never really materialized, and they get one pretty decent year. Granted, he was with a team that's filled with players that have high expectations that don't ever seem to materialize. On top of being a team that seems to be a team that should do better than it does, so I, I don't know. The team I'm referring to is the Chargers, by the way. Just talent everywhere, but doesn't ever materialize. J.J. Uh, Nelson is just kind of hot garbage. No offense to his mom. I'm sure he's a great person. And Ryan Grant is uh, one of many terrible wide receivers to come from Washington. I know I said Indy because he spent a year there. Um, he was not good there either. So they added a lot of bodies, and for whatever reason, Gruden got, quote-unquote, his guys. I don't know what exactly that means. Apparently, 28-year-old wide receivers uh, who are 6 feet tall, 200 pounds, run a 4.64. I, I, I don't know what, what, what's, the, what's the prototype we're kind of going for here. Perfectly average and slow and getting old with a poor track record. 573 yards and four touchdowns is my best season. I mean, I, I'm just trying to figure it out because we, we get rid of our core players to go out and get our guys, and it just seems like everybody you add, I don't understand. But maybe it'll come together. Again, withholding judgment. We'll see how this goes. Gruden is the ultimate guru. Another guy with a massive ego. As far as I can tell, he's one of those guys that makes 50000 driving a $200,000 car. But we'll see. Uh, I already mentioned they brought in Mike Lennon and Landry Jones. Zero expectations for them. Uh, one actual guy that's going to probably be able to come in and contribute is safety LaMarcus Joyner. This is somebody I can kind of get behind. I'm not sure what they paid, and I don't care to look it up, but I'm guessing they overpaid. This is a guy who 
we're talking was one of the best safeties in the NFL in 2017. And this is this is exactly the kind of it's funny because I spend so much time on PFF, you kind of start to learn different kinds of like player curves. This is a guy who was bad for two years, okay in 2016, peaked and was elite and one of the best in the NFL, and then went back to just being kind of okay in 2018. This is why I'm scared of Preston and Zedarius. This is why I'm scared of the guys who peaked and then just kind of, I don't know what's going to, we, we got them at their peak. Are they going to, well, it's, it's not really a peak. We got them on an upswing. But the Raiders saw the peak and the fall off and still went out and paid the guy. So I don't know. I'm hoping they paid him based on a guy, you know, based on his 2018 performance and not his 2017 performance. But either way, it's going to be an upgraded safety because LaMarcus Joyner is pretty good. I don't think he's 2017 good. But I think he's a starter. So, all right, now i got to look it up. It was about $10 bucks, ten and a half million average. Guarantees average out at about $5 million. I don't think that's bad, considering he was probably the top safety on the market. Whatever. I don't think he's actually the top safety. I'm just thinking when the safeties came out, he would have probably been propped as one of the top. Kind of like Landon Collins, right? When the floodgates open, it's like, ooh, Landon's the man. And I'm looking at it going, eh, I don't know. He's kind of mediocre. And then he got massively overpaid by the Redskins. Otherwise, otherwise, Vante's perfect. Terrible pickup. Yeah, he's been a decent linebacker when he's actually on the field. But that's kind of been the problem. Also, 2018, he was... It seems like the, the Raiders have the exact opposite strategy of the Packers. The Packers are finding guys that are peaking. The uh, the Raiders are looking for guys that are kind of falling off. So, perfect was kind of okay through the years. 2016, he was pretty solid in his 600 snaps. 2018... Only played seven weeks, less than 300 snaps, and was trash. And Gruden's looking at that going, man, that's guy, that, that guy has just got Raiders written all over him. But hey, at least you got a mean guy that's going to, you know, hit people in the jaw with the top of his head. Also was suspended the first four games for performance-enhancing drugs. But if we can get four weeks of a guy that just, you know, is kicking people, hitting people with the crown of the helmet, it'll be worth it, man. Let's just run through this for fun, shall we? Found a nice little list here. December 2018, fined for lowering his helmet. October 2018, fined for hit to the head area against Antonio Brown. March 2018, suspended four games for violating the league's, the league's ped policy. October 2017, fined 12000 for kicking Steelers' Roosevelt Knicks. August 2017, suspended three games for hitting a defensive receiver. November 2016, fined $12,000 for unsportsmanlike conduct when he flipped off the Buffalo Bills. October 2016, fined 75000 for stepping on New England's uh, LeGarrette Blunt. January 2016, suspended three games for excessive hit to the defenseless receiver against Antonio Brown. He really doesn't like that guy. Of course, they're on the same team now, but it's still pretty funny. In a you're-a-horrible-person kind of way, you know. December 2015, fined 69000 for a combination of unsportsmanlike conduct plays against Pittsburgh. Basically, there were two plays in that game he was fined for. October 2014, fined 25000 for ankle twisting against Carolina's Cam Newton. November 2013, fined 21000 for spearing the Jets' Stephen Hill. September 2013, fined 31000 total for two incidents versus the Packers. One for a hit on a defenseless receiver, which appears to be James Jones. The other one for hitting Ryan Taylor below the belt following a play. There you go. This guy shouldn't even be in the NFL, but, you know, he's a Gruden guy. I don't know. He just he just got that lovable personality, you know. I don't know. Gruden's a dummy. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. They also added Nevin Lawson at corner from the Detroit Lions, who's just kind of meh. 
Safety Curtis Riley. I know it's a long list, and with my rants combined, this is taking a while. But they did a lot of stuff, all right? Um, But Safety Curtis Riley, at the very least, is only 26 going on 27. So he's a a young little spry guy. Terrible. But uh, he's he's a youngin. But anyways, that's the last one. So they did a lot of things. If I could summarize it, however, they lost Jared Cook. They added Antonio Brown, uh, Tyrell Williams, Trent Brown, who is the most overpaid right tackle in the NFL, LaMarcus Joyner, and that's about it. As far as high impact, they got a good right tackle and a good wide receiver. That's about it. And then in the draft, um, which I think maybe is going to be the most impact that they had, despite the hype around all the the movement they did in free agency, Cleveland Furl, you know, despite maybe being a little bit too early, he's a good football player and we're going to be going up against him. So the jokes stop (laughs) on that day. Uh, Josh Jacobs at running back, we'll see. I don't want to delve too much into the offense quite yet, but, you know, they got the top running back. I had mocked him to the Raiders several times because we want to get these high-impact players. I think that's a good kind of tanking building piece. In other words, we want to have a good running back for the future, but we don't want a player that's going to just take over the game and make us awesome. Josh Jacobs can't do that by himself. Running backs don't really do that by themselves. There's no elite team in the NFL that's elite because of a running back. Some of them might have running backs, Several of them don't really have top-tier running backs, like the Patriots, for example, or the Rams, for that matter, whose running back was hurt the whole year. But it'll be a real nice piece if we can get ourselves a couple more pieces in the future, including a quarterback. And then at pick 27, getting Jonathan Abram, um, another just, I mean, he's going to fit with Vontez Perfect real nice. He actually does seem like a pretty cool guy. I don't want to make him out to be a perfect kind of person, but that was a concern, right? He's such a hard hitter. It's kind of like, hopefully he can kind of temper that a little bit. But that's one area where you can say that they did get definitively better. I think up front with Cleveland Furl is going to help. But um, I think safety with LaMarcus Joyner and now Jonathan Abram at strong safety is a, a pretty nice one-two. I still probably prefer the Packers because it's a little more, you know, depending on what you think of Jonathan Abram, I think that the Raiders have a definitive strong safety and a definitive free safety. And I kind of think the NFL in general is getting away from that. But the Raiders are kind of embracing it. They, they're kind of embracing old school, it seems like also just old players in general, but we're going to run the football and we're going to get a bunch of heavy hitters on defense to just smash people around, which is fine because, you know, 1970s football doesn't really win anymore. They might rack up a lot of fines as a team. I don't know how many wins, you know, that gets you. But anyways, Jonathan Abram is a pretty impressive guy, Cleveland Furl. Um, In the second round, they got cornerback Trayvon Mullen. Regardless of what you think of him, he's probably going to start just because the quality of their corners is not very high. They got another edge guy, Max Crosby, in the fourth round. Wouldn't expect him to be a starter, but again, with Arden Key being the main guy who just doesn't seem to know what he's doing, he has a shot at starting, at least being rotational. Another corner in Isaiah Johnson, again, could absolutely start considering how terrible their group is. Foster Moreau at tight end, still in the fourth round. Definitely could be a starter. They went and got Luke Wilson from the Detroit Lions via Seattle. But Luke Wilson is just kind of not very good. So again, the draft is going to be the most high impact because I think a lot of these guys are going to start. They got wide receiver Hunter Renfro. Definitely could start. We'll see what they want to do in the slot. But in my opinion, as I said, Antonio Brown is kind of the guy. Everybody else is just kind of a guy. So if it's me, depending on how good Hunter Renfro is, I would like to keep Tyrell Williams on the outside. Um, and then put Hunter Renfro in the slot. As it stands, Tyrell might be coming in the slot in three wide receiver sets. Whatever. Again, ideally Hunter Renfro is the guy. 
Lastly, seventh round, Quentin Bell, defensive end, seventh round, so I don't really care. He's not going to contribute. But that's kind of the roster. And again, the, the draft was, from what I can see, not terrible. We'll see how it pans out. I don't think these are exactly the picks I would have made, but the position itself, which maybe is because they were drafting as sort of a need-based draft, which is why Cleveland goes at four, because they wanted a pass rusher, and they felt he was the best, even though it's not a good value. I don't know. But whatever. Anyways, we're going to take a break, and then I'll look at the, uh, you know, sort of our team versus their team kind of a thing. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so now the fun part. We'll start with our offense versus their defense because that's just how this kind of popped up. Bottom line with this whole situation, as I feel like everyone should know, this needs to be a win. Obviously, anything can happen. There's a lot of fluctuation. Teams that nobody expects to be good end up becoming quite good. And it is possible with the Raiders, but man, oh man, I just I really feel like this needs to be a win. So first of all, there is quite a bit of youth on this team, meaning if guys similar to the Packers kind of take a leap, this could be a better than expected defense. So Arden Key, who was not very good in his first year, athletically, this was a guy who was expected to be the number one overall pick in the NFL. If he can get his act together and be the guy that he was in college, he can be quite good. On the other side of that, obviously, is Cleland Furl. In the middle is is Maurice Hurst, who was another guy that was supposed to be a lock first round, but he had, you know, I think it was a heart issue or something, and he fell in the draft. He had a decent rookie year, and again, if he takes another bit of a leap, that's not a bad front. Raiders fans also really like P.J. Hall, who I think was like a fourth, fifth round guy, I don't really know, but a defensive lineman who was okay, but again, another rookie. So basically, this entire front is rookies and second-year guys. The entire front. I mean, it'll be rotated, so some of these guys won't be out here all the time. But that's incredibly young. At corner, they got Garyon Conley, who I think was a first-round pick. Maybe he was a second-round pick. But he was drafted in 2017, so this is his third year. In the slot, they've got Nevin Lawson, who I said they got from Detroit. So it's his first year with the Raiders. And then they've got Trayvon Mullen, who they drafted. So you've got a guy that's been on the team. And, you know, I'm kind of taking some liberties here because Lawson's been around for a little bit of a while. It's his uh, sixth season. But as far as time spent with the Raiders, 
Conley's been there two years, and he's the most veteran Raider. I mentioned that linebacker, Vontaze, uh, Vontaze Perfect. Uh, Brandon Marshall, I think this might be his first year with the Raiders. Yeah, 2018, he was a Denver Bronco. So two brand-new linebackers. And, and again, I don't know if any of these guys are good. Gary and Conley last year wasn't great. Nevin Lawson's never really been that great. Trayvon Mullen's brand new, so nobody knows. Brandon Marshall and Vontaze Perfect were not very good. But again, all brand new. Safeties, LaMarcus Joyner, first year with the Raiders. Jonathan Abram, first year in the NFL. Of this entire group, Gary and Conley, who's been a Raider for two years, is the most veteran Raider on this defense. That's a little crazy. You want to talk about a rebuild? And again, I don't like a lot of these guys, but there's no question John Gruden is going out and just getting his guys. Gary and Conley's the only one that's even survived more than a year. It's ridiculous. And again, there's other guys, but I'm just looking at basically, you know, the starting, I guess, nickel defense. Uh, the third linebacker who would be kind of in the base. He was an Oakland Raider last year. Before that, he was a Lion. So this is his second year. Still doesn't change the fact that uh, Conley's the most veteran guy. The only other guy I would call a, a starter would probably be defensive lineman Jonathan Hankins. He was a Raider for one year. Prior to that, 2017, he was with the Colts. 2016 and, and before that was a Giant. Kind of crazy. I don't necessarily think it works to their advantage either. New team new scheme, new players. It's chaos. None of these guys know each other. None of these guys have worked with each other. Again, a guy who's been in the NFL for two years has been with the Raiders longer than any other player starting on this defense. That's silly. As far as matchups, well, let's take a look. As it stands, I don't think their defensive line has a very good chance against our offensive line, even if our offensive line doesn't improve all that much. If Cleveland Furl is firing off the edge on David Bakhtiari, I don't think Cleveland Furl has a chance in this world of getting around him. Hankins, Hurst, and Hall on the interior, maybe Hurst has a little bit of an advantage, but the fact that he doesn't have anybody next to him, either on the interior or exterior with Arden Key, doesn't speak all that highly of his ability. If Hurst is having some, you know, some success, fine, he gets double teamed. Hurst is not good enough to be double teams, and Hankins, who is a run defender, and Arden Key, who is... I don't know what his deal is. Again, a guy who is like the number one overall draft pick, lock, he's the greatest thing ever, and then he shows up to, you know, shows up to, I think it was, L- where, where did he go to school? Yeah, it was LSU. Shows up to LSU at like 290 pounds. He's currently in the NFL at 240, just to give you an idea, 6'5", 240. He showed up at 290. He took some mental health days off. Not trying to make fun, just saying something's not right. And for a guy that's that talented to fall to the third round and then not play well at all in the NFL, I don't know what the deal is. If he just hates football, doesn't want to do it, I don't know. And then when you factor in their linebackers with Perfect, Marshall, and Whitehead, I don't see any reason why we can't just do whatever we want. If we want to run the football, the only guy I'm really scared of here, maybe Cleland Furl, Vontez Perfect only because he's been good in the past and is violent and I don't want him to take out one of our line or running backs. Hopefully he's already suspended by this time. And then probably Jonathan Abram. Just a, an absolute missile at strong safety. Don't know if he's going to be a good football player. But again, the, the fact that the only guys I'm scared of when we're running the ball on this entire team are two rookies because maybe they'll be good and I'm not sure yet. Again, not a whole. I'm, I'm doing my best to try to give the Raiders a little bit of credit, but there's not a whole lot to work with here. Then as we go to the outside... Their best corner is Gary and Conley, the most veteran Raider on this entire team. Conley was okay in his rookie year, kind of fell off in his sophomore year. 
him going up against Devontae Adams is an absolute joke. Unless Trayvon Mullen comes in and is a stud, but even if he is, I hope against hope that Trayvon Mullen is on Devontae Adams all day long because Devontae Adams will have 175 yards and four touchdowns. The other benefit here is, as I said, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong about Jonathan Abram. Maybe he's going to be a fine, you know, if they, if they want him to, to play back as a, as a free safety at times. But if, if this is more or less, you've got your free safety in Joyner and your strong safety in Abram, and Abram isn't a very good free safety. In other words, his coverage ability isn't very good, and, and you know, playing back, the backfield isn't very, very good. The Packers are going to exploit that. Your corners aren't very good, and we can attack you deep because you just have one guy that can handle the back-end responsibilities, and it's a guy who's just kind of mediocre at this point. Again, he had one real good year and not a whole lot else going on. Overall, the Packers should be able to do whatever they want. The fact that this is a home game just exacerbates this. And I think this is good, and I think the Packers need to run up the score. So this isn't so much should we win the game. This is This should be a statement game. So if we go look back over the schedule... I guess either way, if the Packers have gotten off to a slow start, maybe things aren't going exactly the way that we want. Maybe through six weeks we're three and three, and it's like, man, this isn't real good. Well, what you need at that moment is a breakout game in which your defense basically shuts them out and your offense puts up 45 points. That's the kind of game you need as you're about to go on the road to meet the Chiefs and then go on the road to play the Chargers and then have the Panthers before you have your bye and a, an exhaustive road schedule. Basically, after this Raiders game, we have nine games, three of them are at home. That kind of a, a beatdown is exactly what you need. Again, regardless of what happens prior to this. But even if you've got, even if you're undefeated at this point, this will just be the final stamp, right? Because you're always going to have people going, well, whatever. Well, I don't know, you know, they're undefeated, but we'll see, whatever. You come in and just blow this team out, even though it's the Raiders, it's still going to be a statement. And I think it's, it's again, it's it's timed perfectly. This is the last game in a stretch of basically nothing but home games and on the highest note you possibly can to launch you into this horrific remaining schedule chiefs away chargers away panthers home 49ers away giants away redskins bears at home vikings away lions away that's pretty brutal anyways looking at it from the other uh perspective here the only real thing i'm worried about is antonio brown jair alexander is going to have a long day but watching him kind of step up to that is going to be exciting. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is sort of a double-team situation. We've got the the good enough safeties. And, and having a guy like Savage just on that side of the field, I think, is going to be beneficial. Because, again, he takes up so much space. If Derek Carr wants to throw to Brown, that's fine. But you better make sure he's got enough separation from Alexander and Savage. Because once that ball is in the air, it's kind of whoever wants it. Nobody's entitled to it at that point. He had better have them beat and beat bad. Because Savage has got some serious makeup speed. Beyond that, though, again, the tight ends, depending on... The only tight end I, I think might have some success is the fourth-round rookie. And the only reason I say that is because I have no idea what he's going to be able to do. The other wide receivers aren't very good. So, you know, same situation. If our corners don't take a step, that could be problematic. But that's more of a problem throughout the season. This is going to be one of those games where I'm not as worried about it because their wide receivers just aren't very good. Tyrell Williams, again, I, I, I don't know. Kevin King, even if he's still not very good, should be able to handle him to some degree. Then the question just becomes the trenches, and it's almost laughable. The best player they have along this entire offensive line is not the highest-paid tackle in the NFL. It's their center, Rodney Hudson, who's just consistently pretty good. Their guards are not good. Colton Miller is an absolute joke, who apparently is going to be the left tackle, I cannot wait for that. And Trent Brown's a right tackle. And he's decent. He's he's 
I, 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 to be completely honest, I would not say he's even as good as Brian Balaga, but we can say that he's that good, which is good. I mean, if he can play up to the standard of Brian Balaga, Carr's probably going to be clean on that side because Balaga's pretty good, despite Packer fans not acknowledging that for some reason. But I don't think he is that good. But again, that's it. One decent tackle, pretty good center, terrible left tackle, a terrible left guard, and a mediocre right guard. This is going to be an assault. They're going to have to be able to run the ball just to get the dogs to just back off a little bit. But I don't know how successful they're going to be. Josh Jacobs better be a freak because he's not going to have a lot of running room. He doesn't have tight ends that are good blockers. He doesn't have a very good blocking offensive line. And with Gary and Daniels and Clark and Lowry and, and Smith and Smith and Martinez and Burks and Amos and Savage, I mean, best of luck. I just, I don't know what you do. I think that has to be the strategy to start with. We got to run the ball. We got to get him to cool it with the pass rush. We got to try to dump the ball off, I guess, to Jacobs, because I don't know who else we're going to do it to. You know, try to get the screen game going, which is going to be tough, again, when you got guys like Burks and Amos and Savage who are really fast, right? The idea is you get behind this defensive line. The problem is you got to deal with the linebackers and safeties, and hopefully you got some space there, especially with the blockers out in front, but, you know, that's the reason why we went out and got the guys that we've got. You have the intelligence of Martinez, the intelligence of Amos, you got the speed of Burks and the speed of Savage. That's a good combination to have to be able to kill that kind of stuff. Not to mention we've got intelligent outside linebackers like Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, and a bunch of guys that just wreck stuff. Kenny Clark wrecks stuff. Mike Daniels wrecks stuff. Rashawn Gary wrecks things. You're trying to set something up. It's just it's, That's the last thing you want to do. Just Just execute something really, really well. If you're trying to orchestrate your offensive line to kind of, you know, move in a certain direction and this beautiful little thing that opens up, that that just, no. Rashawn Gary, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, these are just hand grenades. They're walking hand grenades and they just blow up everything in front of them. It's just going to be a, a pile of bodies. That's all your offensive line is going to be, a pile of bodies just laying all over the field. Whatever you're going to do, just do it quickly because your boys up front are just getting mauled. So I really think the the best and maybe only play is to get the ball out quickly to Antonio Brown. Yeah, I said Antonio Brown. Get out of my face. And just see where that takes you. And again, the the, the biggest thing is is if you can have some success running the football, you got a little bit of a chance, right? Maybe your other wide receivers have some success against our corners that aren't super great. Antonio Brown has some success against Jair because he's Antonio Brown. And you've got a running back who's able to run the ball. At this point, it's kind of like, oh, shoot. But still, with the guys we have, you're not going to have sustained success. You're going to struggle to run the ball, even if you get a couple chunks. You're going to struggle to protect your quarterback, and we're going to get our hits, we're going to get our hurries, we're going to get our sacks. It's just going to happen. So you have to have Carr, who has to have composure in the pocket, because there's going to be a lot of pressure, and he has to be able to capitalize when their guys become available. Because Alexander is going to win some matchups, our other corners are going to win matchups against your corners. So he has to be able to stand in a high-pressure pocket and be able to hit the right guy at the right time, and do that consistently down the field, which is the real problem, which is why we like the defensive line that we have, because it's just waves upon waves upon waves. And if you're starting at your own 25, cool, you got a first down. Cool, you got another first down. Cool, that was a nice run. Now you're to the 45, the 50, whatever. You got a little bit of a ways to go. 
Eventually, we're going to get your quarterback. Eventually, we're going to get that pick. Eventually, we're going to get the ball batted down. Eventually, we're going to have that tackle for a loss. You have to be able to do this over and over and over in order to score. And if you can have one series where you string enough together to get a touchdown, that's great. But one touchdown doesn't win you a game. You have to do that again and do that again and do that again. And this is the the benefit of this defense is that's very hard to do, to have sustained success over and over and over to compile enough points to win a football game. This is very different, at least it better be, than the Dom Capers bend don't break, which is you're starting at your 25, we'll basically just give you your first 50 yards, but then it's going to get real tough to actually get those last seven. We're, we're, we're basically playing to get to just hand you, we'll hand you a field goal, but we just don't want you to get a touchdown. No, this is, you know, best of luck getting to the 50. I, I dare you to get to the 50, and that has me excited. And I don't see this offense having the talent. Of course they're going to score. There's going to be some big plays that'll probably happen early, and that's going to scare us to death because we're going to have these high expectations that we're just going to dominate. And I'm going to get on this podcast and tell you they're going to dominate. They're not even going to get a yard. And then the first play is going to be a 48-yard you know, pass to Antonio Brown, and all of us are going to slump in our chair and go, oh, no. And then things will settle in, and we'll be fine. Save that quote because it's going to happen. Anyways, I uh, suppose I should go to work today. I hope you folks enjoy your Wednesday. Things are starting to heat up around here. If you're down south, you already are in the midst of a lot of heat. I've learned, because I'll be traveling there shortly, and I'm terrified. Because when it gets to 70 here, I'm starting to think, man, it's a little it's a little toasty out here. And apparently, when I get to Kentucky, it's already going to be borderline 90s. So, I don't know. guess I'll just figure out how to be a man for once. You folks enjoy your day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.